This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. Matthew 21, there on the inside, Matthew 21 and verse 23 to 27, we'll introduce our thoughts with that this morning. Matthew 21 at verse 23. <clears throat> Matthew says of Christ, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. I'm talking today on the subject of authority and religion. Let me define authority for you. Authority means legal or rightful power, dominion, the right to rule or to command. Authority is legal or rightful power, dominion, the right to rule or command. In every realm and every area of our life, surely we understand the importance of authority and the respect for it. It's, it's important in our homes, in our schools, in uh, city government, county government, state government, the federal government, in the military. It's important in every area of our life that authority be maintained and respected. And where we don't have that, we have division and confusion and anarchy. Look at the homes in America today. One of the great things wrong in our homes is there's a lack of respect or maintaining of authority. And there's a lot of confusion and anarchy and division in homes. Same thing in our schools. Many of our schools are so disruptive that they're not a good environment anymore for learning because there's not discipline and good order in those things. You see, we have left the respect for authority and that's not been maintained. It's not been, it's just, it's just not been submitted to. And you see that in government many times. Government is divided and parties are at war with each other and the authority of the Constitution sometimes is not respected and state laws or federal laws are not. And so we see a lot of division there. You cannot have a successful military without authority and the respect for authority. It's so important in every area of our life. And yet when we come over into religion, Sometimes we have a lot of people who seem to think that authority is not all that important. You oftentimes hear people say it doesn't make any difference what you believe or practice in religion as long as you're sincere. Now think about that statement. It makes no difference what you believe or practice in religion as long as you're sincere. And what's the result of this kind of thinking? Division, confusion, Anarchy everywhere in religion. You've got differing groups that do not have fellowship with each other that can't even treat each other sometimes respectfully. And so there's clashes and wars of all kinds and disagreements in religion. And we just have anarchy here in this country. Reminds me of the situation we read about in Judges 21-25. There again on the inside. In the days when the judges ruled Israel, the Bible says that in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Think about that a minute. Every man became a law to himself. Now we read that scripture and maybe our righteous anger boils a little bit. And we, we say, well, what was Israel thinking here? Didn't Moses lead them to Mount Sinai? Didn't God give him his law and place himself in authority over them? Why wasn't Israel respecting God and his law and his word? But you know what? It's not any different today. As long as people say that it doesn't matter what you believe or practice in religion as long as you're sincere, that's another way of saying do what's right in your own eyes. Become a law to yourself. Do what you think is okay. See? And that's what many, many people do in religion. 
And the result of it is just division everywhere. And when we go into a town or a city or even small communities, you see differing churches, differing names that they're wearing. They worship in different ways. They teach different and conflicting doctrines. They are divided from each other. There is confusion in the communities. People do not know what's right and what's wrong in religion. They're, they're in turmoil. They're confused about what they see. And God hates this kind of situation and he hates division. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So we're told to speak the same thing, to have no divisions. We don't see that today. So this morning we're going to talk about authority and specifically an authority that will bring you and I together in unity if we will have that same authority in our lives, let it have authority over us and submit to it, then we'll have peace with each other and fellowship with each other and hopefully acceptance with God. Back in the opening scripture in Matthew 21, the Lord recognized only two sources of authority in religion. Now his enemies came to him when he was teaching and they asked him, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? They didn't care about the answer to that. They didn't care about what authority Jesus taught. They weren't going to respect that authority. And Jesus knew that. And so he said, I'm going to ask you one thing. And if you tell me, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. He had a very simple question. The baptism of John, he asked them, which was it? From heaven or of men? He only recognized two places. That's a simple question. Heaven or men? Now they huddled up in a little group. They really didn't want to answer that question. They, they were plotting about what they might say. And they got together and they said, now if we tell him that John's baptism is from heaven, he's going to say unto us, why did you not believe him or why weren't you baptized? Because you see, they had rejected John's baptism. And if John's baptism was from heaven, they should have never rejected that. On the other hand, if they said, if we say John's baptism came from men, then we fear these people out here because they believe John was a prophet and therefore John would have gotten his baptism from heaven, see. And so they came to Jesus and they said, well, we just can't tell. We can't tell if it's from heaven or of men. And the Lord saw their dishonesty and he said, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. In spite of their reluctance to answer, John's baptism was from heaven. Let's note some scripture. First there, John 1 and verse 6. The Bible says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Who sent John the Baptist? God did. Sir. John's baptism was from heaven. God sent him. God gave him that baptism. In Luke 7, verse 29 and 30, the Bible says, and all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Those that had John's baptism are said to justify God, that is, declare God righteous. They declared God righteous in giving that act of baptism. But those that rejected John's baptism were told that they rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. So John's baptism was from heaven. Let's suppose, however, for a moment it wasn't. What's the only other place Jesus said it might have originated from? From men. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men, see? And that brings up some very important things about religion. Is our religion today from heaven or of men? Because I believe everything religiously today comes from heaven or men. I believe every doctrine, every doctrine in this world is either from heaven or of men. Every church that exists is either from heaven or it's of men. Every act of worship that we might offer to God is from heaven or of men. Every plan of salvation that's taught by preachers is either from heaven or of men. Everything about religion today is either from heaven or it's of men. Everything. 
So we should always ask ourselves about our religion. Is my religion from heaven or of men? The doctrines that I teach and believe and practice, are they from heaven or of men? The worship that I offer to God, is it from heaven or of men? The plan of salvation that I may have obeyed, is it from heaven or of men? Is my religion today from heaven or of men? Those are very important questions. We ought to always ponder those things. This morning, however, let me, let me raise this question. Since we want our religion to be from heaven, how do we know when something comes from heaven? How do we know when any doctrine, any church, whatever it be, is from heaven? Let's talk about that for a while. First of all, anything from heaven originates ultimately with God the Father. In James 1 and verse 17 and verse 18, James 1, 17 and 18, James says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So everything that's good, everything that's truthful, everything that's perfect comes down from God the Father. It all originates with God. And anything from heaven starts with God. And this God of heaven has revealed his will to you and me. In Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says that God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. Notice now that in time past God spoke back there to the fathers by the prophets. That's what Hebrews says. So had you and I lived under the Old Testament age when there were prophets on the earth like Moses or Samuel or David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, whoever it be, had that prophet spoken in the name of the Lord, that would have been the same as if God were standing there speaking to us because God spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, had we followed the words of that prophet, we would have heaven's authority for what we were doing. And if we rejected that prophet, we would be following men. We would have rejected the counsel of God against ourselves. See? Because God spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Imagine standing and having Moses speak to you. Might as well have been God standing there. Because when Moses spoke, he spoke in behalf of God. God spoke unto the fathers by the prophets. See? And to follow Moses was to follow heaven, to follow God. To reject Moses was to do the, do the same, to reject heaven, to reject God. See? And these prophets back there didn't just make up their message. In 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, Peter said, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So God chose holy men and through his spirit gave them his word. See? And holy men of God then spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That was God speaking back there. And God's always been very particular about his word. This word is something that God wants reverenced and he wants respected by every person. I'm afraid we don't see a lot of that today. We have a lot of Bibles that lie in homes on shelves collecting dust. Many of them not read or hardly used at all, seldom used. And even when people open them up sometimes, they don't respect what's inside. They don't respect God's word. In Deuteronomy 4, in verse 2, when Moses gave the law to the children of Israel, he said to them, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Moses said, Don't add anything to this word. Don't take anything away from it. God's particular about that. He still is. In Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, about four or five verses now from the end of the Bible, from the end of the New Testament, God issued this same warning to us. 
And John writes in Revelation 22 and 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. God says, almost the last thing in the Bible tells us, don't you add anything to my word and don't take anything away from it. Now I want you to think of those statements in light of all these churches that exist today and all this different doctrine that we hear. Somebody's adding to God's word. Somebody's taking away from that word. Or these churches would be preaching the same word. They'd be preaching the same message. They'd have the same doctrine. They'd have the same worship. Everything would fit the scripture, see. But somebody's tampering with God's word. And they're not respecting God's authority. So anything from heaven today originates with God. In the Old Testament now, it came down to man through the prophets, but the Hebrew writer said that in these last days, God has spoken unto us by his son, by Jesus. So if we want something today to be from heaven, we'll find it originating with God the Father, but it'll come down to us through Christ. And that fits what Jesus said in Matthew 28 and 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, that is all authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus said, I have all power. I have all authority. It's given to me. Who gave it to him? His father did. His father gave him that authority. In John 12, verse 48 and 49, Christ said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now watch verse 49. Christ said, for I have not spoken of myself, that is, I didn't originate my words. I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Have you ever thought about the fact that every word Jesus spoke while he was here on earth, his Father gave him? Think of that great sermon on the mount. Think of all of his parables. Think of all the teaching of Jesus. He said, I've not spoken to myself. The Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment. What I should say and what I should speak. So when Jesus spoke, it was God's word. It was heaven speaking. And when his enemies came to him there in the temple, he could have told them that. When they said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? He could have said, my father did i got these words that I'm teaching from God the Father. They wouldn't have accepted that anyway, would they? Because they wouldn't even answer a simple question about John's baptism, see. But everything Jesus taught, he got from the Father. And it's fatal for people not to hear Christ. So many religions today will not accept what Jesus says. They don't believe in Jesus. The big, vast Muslim religion rejects Christ altogether. What a shame. Because you see, heaven today speaks through Jesus. It doesn't speak through Mohammed. And it's fatal not to hear Christ. In Acts chapter 3, at verse 22 and 23, Peter was, was talking to the Jews about Christ and he was quoting Moses because Moses had predicted that a prophet would be coming in the future that would be like him, that is like Moses, and he was speaking of Jesus. And so Peter said in Acts 3.22, Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Everybody that will not hear Jesus Christ will be destroyed. That's pretty plain, isn't it? And the reason is because what Jesus says, he got from his Father. Okay? So if we want heaven's authority today, we'll listen to Jesus. Now here's the problem with that for some people. We don't have Jesus on earth today. 
And we know the Father gave him the words that he taught, but where are those words? What happened to those words? Where are they? The answer is that he gave them to his apostles and prophets there in the first century. John 14, 26 is a very interesting verse. Let's read it. Jesus spoke this the night before he died the next day. He tells them he's going away, but he's going to send the Comforter, which is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He said, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Think about that last statement there. The Holy Spirit, he said, is going to come and cause you to remember everything I ever spoke to you. How many of you can remember every word from the sermon you heard last Sunday morning? You can quote it right back to me, can't you? You know what? We just can't remember. We just cannot remember. We hear lesson after lesson, but we can't remember all the words in it. How many times do you imagine the apostles heard Jesus give a lesson? How many sermons did they hear Jesus preach? They heard him preach in the temple and synagogues on mountainsides from the bowels of ships. They heard him as they walked down the roads of Palestine together. They heard him in houses, in the marketplaces, in every public place. They heard Jesus preach sermon after sermon after sermon. How in the world would they remember all that? Because those were the words his father gave him. And the answer is they could remember every word that he ever said to them because the Holy Spirit caused them to remember it. Look at 1426 again in John. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. He will cause you to remember everything I ever taught you. You know, I'd love for, I'd love for the Spirit to come and help me to remember everything I've ever heard in my life. Wouldn't that be tremendous? There's so much we hear that gets away from us. See, If I could just recall all of that, well, the apostles could. And so those words that Jesus taught while he was here were never lost. And not only were those words never lost, Jesus never gave the apostles while he was here everything the Father wanted him to teach them. Look at John 16, verse 12 and 13. Christ told the 12 that same night before he died, he said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Jesus never gave the apostles everything he wanted to teach them. Why? They couldn't hear it. You know, there are times we're just not ready to hear. There are times that things just don't register with us. Maybe we don't have enough uh, knowledge at the time to take on deeper matters and understand it. We don't have enough foundation. And that's likely what was wrong with the apostles. There are things he wanted to give them, but they just weren't ready right then to receive it. I would imagine had, had uh, God given John the, the revelation letter, while Jesus was here on earth. I doubt John would have been ready to receive revelation. It was tough for him as it was when he got that revelation. Some of it scared him, you know. Some of it was, I'm sure, caused him to wonder and uh, everything. And, and yet, uh, it just wasn't time for the book of Revelation to be revealed. There are a lot of the epistles that weren't written, that weren't weren't spoken while Jesus was here on earth. That's that truth that the Lord said the Spirit would guide them into. I have yet many things to say unto you, Jesus said, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrew, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. All of these other things, you see, were some of those many things he had to say that they couldn't bear right then. But the Spirit came and guided them into all truth, see. 
And so the words that the Father had given to Christ, He gave to the apostles and prophets ultimately. And in Matthew 10 and 40, Jesus told the apostles, He that receiveth you, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When we receive the apostles and what they said, we're receiving Jesus. And when we receive Jesus, we're receiving God the Father who sent him, see. So then, if we have heaven's authority today, it'll originate with God, come down through us through Christ, and through the apostles and prophets there in the first century. Now, here's the thing. We don't have the apostles and prophets with us. And we know Jesus gave them the words that his father gave him. Where are those words? Answer, they're written down in the New Testament. They're written in the New Testament. In Ephesians 3, verse 1 to 5, Paul explained how this happened. He's sitting in a Roman prison when he writes this. And he said there in Ephesians 3, beginning verse 1 there now, he said, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to youward, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul said, by revelation, Christ made known to me the mystery. He said, I wrote it in few words. And he said, when you read, you can understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, because in other ages this wasn't made known unto the sons of men, as it's now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So those words that God gave Christ, that he gave to the apostles and prophets, the Holy Spirit caused them to write these down in the pages of the New Testament. And when we read these words, we're reading the words that Jesus and the apostles spoke that God gave to them, and we have heaven's authority. For example, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 37, Paul talked about things that he wrote. He said, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So when we read what Paul wrote, we're reading the commandments of Jesus. Where did Jesus get those commandments? He said, the Father that sent me gave me a commandment, what I should say, what I should speak. And so then when we, when we read the New Testament then, then we're reading the words of the Lord. These are not just Paul's words. They're the commandments of the Lord. See that? And he said, if you're a prophet or spirit, you'll acknowledge that what I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. In Jude verse 3, there on the back, Jude, Jude commands us to contend for the word that was written, that was delivered to us. Jude said, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. In other words, God expects you and I to stand up for what's written in the New Testament, to earnestly contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints. Now, he didn't tell us to be contentious. He didn't say, I want you to be a contentious people. Get out here and, you know, and battle everybody. He didn't, he didn't say that. We're not to be obnoxious or a know-it-all or a holier-than-thou. We're not to be a contentious people, but we are to contend. And we can contend for what's in the Bible without being contentious. And God will hold us to that standard. When we're sitting at home and we're reading there in the New Testament, that's heaven speaking. And I would tell you this morning that it might as well be Jesus standing there himself or God standing there right there with you speaking these words to you. When you open this New Testament, that's God talking. That's pretty serious. Would you take it seriously if you were sitting at home and all of a sudden God started commanding you and telling you things? Would you take it serious if Jesus appeared by your recliner or the, the sofa there 
and started talking to you and telling you things? Then when we open this book, we ought to take it every bit that serious because that's exactly the source of these words. This is an incredible book that I'm holding this morning. The most incredible book of any library on earth is what we have in our hands. We ought to reverence and respect it because when we follow the book, then we have heaven's authority for what we do. Now that means that I ought to be able to read about the church that I'm a member of. I ought to find that in the New Testament. That means that any doctrine I, I should teach or ask others to believe and accept ought to come right out of the New Testament. And if it doesn't, that's not heaven speaking. That means any act of worship that we offer to God, we should find in the scriptures. And if we don't find it there, we need to leave it alone. Any plan of salvation that we might teach to our fellow man and encourage them to obey, we need to be able to find it in the New Testament. Because if we don't, it doesn't come from heaven. It comes from men. Everything about our religion, folks, should be able to be found in this book. And if it's not, we've got the wrong religion. Okay? We've got the wrong doctrine. We're in the wrong church. If we can't read about it in this book, it's not from heaven. Now, unfortunately, people will not follow heaven. Um, many people follow men and their practice today, and let's talk about that for just a minute. There's a lot of ways that folks follow men religiously. You know, you talk to some people about their religion, you ask them, well, why do you go to church where you do? Why do you attend here? Why do you believe this or that? And they say, well, you know, that's what my parents believed. That's where they attended. And I just kind of follow the parents. I figure if it's good enough for mom or dad or good enough for grandpa or grandma, it's good enough for me. And a lot of people are what they are religiously because of their forefathers. There are people that got up and went to church this morning with no thought about what that church was teaching or how the worship would be today. They go there simply because that's where the parents went. That's where mom and dad go. That's where they were raised. And Paul did that. Paul persecuted the Lord's church. And when he did that, he followed the religion of his forefathers. And uh, sometimes when we follow our parents, that's not always the best. Paul's parents were wrong. Galatians 1, verse 13 and 14. Paul said, you've heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. There it is. Paul, why did you persecute the church and, and waste it? He said, I was zealous of the traditions of my fathers. He followed his forefathers' religion and they were wrong, see. No parent is an infallible source of authority in religious matters. If a parent was, then why are all these parents different? Why are they teaching their children different things if all of them is, a, is an authority in religion? You see, no, no parent is unless they're guided by the New Testament in what they say. There is no authority there. And sometimes we're called upon to break with our family. Sometimes we just have to get up and leave our family, religiously. I'm not talking about, I'm not telling you that we have to quit loving our family, quit respecting our family. I'm telling you sometimes we have to part with family members religiously. I had to part with mine at one time. I was raised up in several different churches. Every one of them were wrong. My parents were wrong religiously. My parents were good people. My mom and dad were good moral people. They were very sincere people. But they were very wrong in their religion. They really were. And I eventually learned that. When I began to study the Bible, I could see that what, what I had been taught, what we believed and practiced, the church that we were attending, I couldn't find any of it in the Bible, hardly at all. I was just amazed at how wrong we'd been. And then you read verses like Matthew 10. Would you read there with me? Verse 34 to 39. Now watch Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. Watch this closely. 
Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, but he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus said, you've got to love me more than your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your mother-in-law, your daughter-in-law, whoever it be. And if you don't love me more than them, you're not worthy of me. We cannot be the Lord's disciple. He said, I've come not to send peace on earth, but a sword. I've come to set a man at variance against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes or his enemies sometimes will be they of his own house. See? Now the Lord doesn't want it that way. He just knew that by speaking these words that sometimes families would be divided over what he said. And he said, I want you to follow me. He didn't tell you not to love your father or mother, your son or your daughter, your mother-in-law or your daughter-in-law. He's telling you and me, love me more. Love me, number one. And so I read these verses, and you know, in my particular case, uh, I had to make a decision about mom and dad. I loved them, and I wanted to, I wanted to be with them. But I just got to where I couldn't sit there in the church where we were going any further. I knew the doctrine being taught was not right. The worship was not right. The plan of salvation was not right. We were leaving things undone that the Bible commanded us to do. And so I made a decision to get up and leave that place. A lot of you have done the same thing in your families. Sometimes we just have to do that. And it doesn't mean that we don't love our parents, our family members, it just means we love Jesus more. And that's what he expects. So we cannot blindly follow our family members in religious matters. They are not infallible. The New Testament has the truth, and that's what we need to follow, and that's heaven's authority. Sometimes you talk to people about their religion, and you say, well, why do you believe this or do this? And they'll say, well, I just let my conscience be my guide. And you know, the Bible talks about keeping a good conscience. We need a good conscience. Paul said in Acts 23 and 1, Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Even when Paul tore the church up and persecuted Christians, he lived in good conscience. He thought he was doing the right thing. The conscience is part of our mind. It's, a, it's an alarm system, really. The conscience is a part of our mind that will convict us when we say or do what we believe is wrong and it will commend us when we say or do what we believe is right. When we act according to what we believe, the conscience will commend us. When we go against what we have been taught and, and act contrary to what we believe, the conscience will convict us. See? And the conscience is fine as long as it's trained properly. In Acts 26 and 9, Paul said this, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. See, And he goes on to tell those things that he did. Paul, uh, Paul thought he was doing right when he went contrary to what Jesus said, to what Jesus stood for, to what his disciples taught. See, And, and Paul was just following his conscience. He said, that's what I thought I ought to do. And he did, see. He had a good conscience, but the problem is his conscience was wrong. A conscience, I've said many times, is like a timepiece. You can have a great watch. It can keep perfect time, run perfectly. But if that watch is set by the wrong standard, it'll always be wrong. Last Saturday night, what did we do? We changed time, didn't we? <laughs> now, what if I hadn't changed this watch? Wouldn't matter how good it runs this Sunday. It's an hour off, isn't it? It's just wrong. In other words, it's set by the wrong standard. See? And the conscience is the same way. 
We can have a great conscience. Maybe it uh, commends us when we do and say what we think's right and convicts us when we say or do what we think is wrong. But if it's set by the wrong standard, it'll always be wrong. I'll put that on later. <laughs> I'm in trouble with that. That's that great watch. <laughs> so the conscience is no better than what it's educated. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And if you want to have a great conscience, and we do, educate it by the New Testament. And then when you say and do things that are in harmony with the New Testament, it'll commend you. And when you say and do things contrary to the New Testament, it'll condemn you. See. And uh, don't try to blindly follow the conscience. Talk to some people about their religion. They'll say, well, I don't know. Uh, I don't understand why we do things this way, but my preacher can tell you. Uh, he sure can, can he? A lot of people will run straight to their preacher. And I've, I've given people scriptures before and they'd run straight to their preacher and he'd explain them away. He'd say, well, yeah, it says that, but that's not what it means. And he'd try, try to find a way around that statement. Well, yeah, that was fine for that day, but not now. And uh, all kinds of things. And preachers are notorious for explaining things away to people. No preacher, including this one, is an infallible source of authority in religion. We are human. We make mistakes. Every one of us have to be checked, examined. And we do that by comparing the New Testament to what the preacher's preaching, see. And then we'll know whether or not he's speaking according to heaven or not. And we're commanded to do that. In 1 John 4 and 1, John said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Do you believe that statement this morning? Look at that. Many false prophets are gone out into the world. Therefore, John says, try the spirits whether they are of God. And how do we try what we hear? By the New Testament. That means we've got to know this book. We've got to know what's in it. And not only know what's in it, but we've got to listen carefully to what we hear and be able to weigh it against what the New Testament really teaches. And when a preacher is not preaching this book, he's wrong. And that's true of me, and it's true of any other man. If we're not preaching the New Testament, we're wrong. We are not infallible, and we should not be followed if we're not following the Scriptures. Everything's got to be examined by the New Testament. See, 1 Peter 4.11, Peter said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Let him say what this book says, see? That's what ought to happen. One final thing I want to mention about human sources of authority. Some people in religion follow their feelings. Recently somebody told me, uh, in fact it was about two weeks ago, I was preaching down at Bottom in prison down there. And a prisoner came up to me after I'd spoken and I'd taught the plan of salvation. And he came up and he said, you know, such and such happened to me. I was struck by the Spirit and uh, all kind of one of these experiences where you fall to the floor. And he said, I got this real good feeling. And, and he, knew, he said, I knew I was born again right there. He said, what do you think about that? I said, well, it doesn't match what's in the New Testament that we just studied. And he didn't like hearing those words. And I said, your experience needs to be true to the New Testament. He said, yes, but I, you know, I could feel the, the burden of my sin lifted. See, he was going by his feelings. And a lot of people feel good about their religion, but that doesn't make their experience right. Because feelings are like ocean tides. They, they ebb and flow. Sometimes we're feeling great and we're up on a mountaintop and the world's going good and everything in life is great and we're ready to shout hallelujah and all of a sudden the bottom falls out. We're down in a valley, and life is that way. It's a series of peaks and valleys all the way from the time we're born to the time we die. And sometimes we're on a mountaintop, and the feelings are great, and sometimes we're in the valley. And that changes and fluctuates. Feelings, listen, feelings are produced by our faith. They're produced by what we believe. You ever wondered what produces how you feel? Your emotions, whether you're happy or sad? Depends upon your belief, what you believe. 
Sad news will produce sorrow. Good news will produce joy. Let me give you an example in the Bible. Turn around on the front of your chart down at the bottom right corner. You'll see Genesis chapter 37. I want to read a scripture there with you in just a minute. It's the story of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph. He, uh, he was favored by his father Jacob. Jacob loved him more than the other boys. He did something that a parent should never do. And that's favor one child over the other. But he did. This was Rachel's son. Joseph was Rachel's firstborn. And Jacob loved Rachel a lot more than he loved Leah. And Joseph was always special. And Joseph began to have dreams that one day his father and mother would be brought to bow down to him. And his brothers hated him for that. They just hated him. Even though it would be true, they would bow to him one day. Jacob loved him and made him a coat of many colors, gave it to him. The boys hated him for that. One day the, the, the sons of Jacob were keeping their father's flocks at a distance and Jacob became worried about them and he sent Joseph to check on their welfare. Joseph was just a teenager, a lad. And as he approaches them, they see him coming and they say, here comes that dreamer. Let's get rid of him. They were going to kill him, but Reuben, the oldest, talked them out of it. And Reuben suggested that they put him in a pit and keep him there in a pit. Reuben was intending to release him later on and get him back to his father. But there happened to be a caravan of Midianites coming through. That was a trade route. The boys were near and they saw that caravan approaching. And these caravans that came out of the east and going down into Egypt would pick up sometimes merchandise on the way. Not only did they carry spices and different things out of the far east, but they would buy slaves, human beings along the way if they could make a profit down in Egypt. And so the boys sold Joseph to them for 20 pieces of silver. They took his coat of many colors off of him. They tore it and they dipped it in the, the, goat of, uh, of a uh, the blood of a goat. And uh, let's read this little account right here. They take that bloody torn coat to Jacob. Let's see what happened. They took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats. Dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors. And they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his sons many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, for he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning for him. Thus his father wept for him. See? Let's think about that just a minute. They take this torn, bloody coat back to Jacob, and they said, Father... We found this coat. Is this your son's coat? And Jacob saw that torn, bloody coat of many colors that he'd given Joseph. And he said, it is my son's coat. He said, evidently an evil beast has devoured Joseph. Joseph dead. And he said, I'll go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father, we're told, wept for him. Now I ask you this morning, was Joseph actually dead? No. No, he was on his way to Egypt to be sold into slavery down there. The boy was alive. Well, why is Jacob, have, why does he have these feelings? Because of what he believes. He believes the boy is dead. He believes a beast has killed him. And the evidence for that is this torn bloody coat, see. His feelings of sorrow are produced by what he believes, and he believes a lie. And what I'm telling you this morning about feelings is you can, you can have feelings, but many times they're based upon a lie. And you may feel a certain way, but that's not really reality. A lot of people believe they are saved. Therefore, they have good feelings, but they've never really obeyed the plan of salvation that's taught in the New Testament but because they believe that they're saved. They have the same good feelings that they would have if they truly were saved, as long as they believe they've obeyed the truth. See? 
So we can't trust our feelings. What we've got to do is check our faith. We've got to check what we believe. And if we'll obey a plan of salvation, the plan that's taught in the New Testament, then when we get good feelings from it, the feelings will be based upon believing the truth. Everything, parents, conscience, preachers, feelings, everything in religion's got to be based upon the New Testament. And if it's not, we don't have heaven's authority. But when we follow these scriptures, we do. Is your religion today from heaven or men? As you think about things, the doctrines that you believe and teach and practice, have you checked them? Have you just simply accepted them because your parents did or a preacher said this or that? Or have you really gone to the New Testament and looked at the doctrine that you've embraced? The church that you're a member of, have you really checked it out in the New Testament? Does it wear the right name? Is its name scriptural? Is, it worship, is its worship scriptural? Does it teach the right plan of salvation? Are its doctrines according to the New Testament scriptures? See? Have you looked at these things? Or have you just followed your feelings or conscience or a preacher or parents? See? May I implore you, may I encourage you today to always check your religion on the basis of the New Testament because that's heaven's authority, that's heaven speaking. This congregation of people here has pledged themselves as we've started this, this little congregation. When we first started out that we would be people of the book, that we would not practice things in this church that we can't read about in the scriptures, that we will not stand firm on those things. We will not admit anything into our worship and practice that we cannot read about in Scripture. We are devoted to that concept as we're moving forward and trying to spread God's Word in this community. And I hope that, I hope that every person here that's part of it will always stay true to that principle. And if wherever you're at, that this will always be the guiding principle in your life, that you'll follow heaven. May God bless you in doing that. And now as we close the study today, if we can help anyone by way of the invitation, if you should need prayer, if you should need to respond to obey the Lord in baptism, if there's anything at all we can be of service to in your life, helping you be right with God, and we invite you to come. We'll sing the first and last verse of the song selected, and you're invited to step forward if you need the Lord while we rise and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.